You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another TC podcast. I'm Sylvie Charland. Today, I'm sitting down with Jean Lorrain, the newly appointed chair of Toronto Centre's Securities Advisory Board, to get his insights and perspectives on how supervisors and regulators in the security sector are managing an ever-changing regulatory landscape, as well as how COVID-19 has impacted their focus. Jean Arain was appointed chair of Toronto Centre's Securities Advisory Board on June 1st, 2020. He was the Senior Director of International Affairs and Strategic Oversight for the Autorité des Marchés Financiers du Québec, AMF. He's also held positions as Corporate Secretary for Cambior, Inc., and Manager for Commission des Valeurs Mobilières du Québec. Welcome, Jean. It's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you a lot, Sylvia. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'd like to start with your background with Toronto Centre. So tell us a little about when you first started to work with the Centre and what motivated you to do so. Well, that's a very interesting question because it goes back quite a few years ago. I started, in fact, in the early 2000s to work with the Toronto Centre, not on a full-time basis, but on special projects. So for example, in 2006, we organized together um, um, a session of the Toronto Center in Morocco um, with the the banking sector at that time, because I come from an integrated regulator. So we have the banking sector or credit union sector. So should I mention more clearly? So I, I did participate with the Toronto Center then and afterward on the securities program in Montreal and after that, intermittently, um, you know, uh, participating to uh, uh, international programs once in a while, but very in a very short way, if you like. And since uh, 2017, I've been a member of uh, SAB and now chair uh, starting this, uh, this week, in fact. Well, congratulations on your new appointment. Now, what would you say have been some of the major events that have taken securities regulation to where it is today? That's an interesting question because securities regulations evolved through crisis, mostly. So if you look at it in a historical way, you would think that uh, securities regulation really started in the 1929 and 30s with the adoption of the SEC uh, law or the securities law in the U.S., um, the establishment of the SEC and local securities commissions being set up all around the world afterward. Um, not to say that there were not securities regulation before them, but that really that crisis, which was a huge one, impacted uh, immensely the securities regulation area. And that's where it really started. And afterward, most, most of the crises have impacted the way we deal with regulation. 
Not only that, but mainly that. So if you look at, for example, the 2001 um, crisis with the tech bubble, uh, again, you had a lot of changes that occurred within the securities regulation environment, which created new obligations, but new structures at the same time. So as you know, securities regulation is a blue sky type of, of regulation, meaning we try to rely on the quality of information available and so on. So that, that crisis in 2001 really impacted the way we dealt with the quality of information afterward. A bit of the same thing occurred with the 2008 crisis, which is the grand financial crisis. There, uh, what happened really was that there was a, a huge change in infrastructures. Um, the, the G20, the governments involved in the G20 wanted some reforms to be done to make sure that things would not occur in the same way again. So again, that crisis really triggered changes to the regulatory landscape. And that really is the impetus for those changes and, and for what we know now as regulation of securities markets. To add to this and you know, to, to finalize my answer, which is a bit long, but at the same time, uh, the international trading aspect of securities markets really um, took, uh, you know, regulators to move on and try to organize themselves for better cooperation. So that was the, the, uh, the impetus for the creation of IOSCO in, in 1983. Uh, so to allow cooperation more in, in between regulators. Same thing is happening somewhat with new technologies since 2008. A plethora of new, uh, new uh, technologies being used in the markets. Again, we need to adapt to that new situation. It's not a crisis per se. It comes from the results of a crisis. But again, we need to adapt. So the landscape we know now is really all about having that type of events forcing us into moving and having the type of regulation we have right now. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about change. Um, it goes without saying that a lot has changed in the world uh, over the past few months due to COVID-19. I imagine the world is very different from when you accepted to be the new chair of the Securities Advisory Board and when your appointment became effective. Now, has what you envisioned as the priorities of the Securities Advisory Board, have they changed as a result of COVID-19? Before answering totally your question, I'd like to acknowledge all the work that was done by my predecessor, uh, Elena Singer. She's done a, a very great job in trying to uh, move the Toronto Centre activities and, and the SAB, which is the Securities Advisory Board, um, upfront and trying to deal with issues in a public way to inform regulators and to inform also the Toronto Centre directors about new issues, novel issues that should be taken on board to prepare regulators to deal with them more efficiently. So just want to commend the great work she's done. Um, looking at it through the notion of priorities, I think the priorities will remain in many cases, the same. We want to put forward more knowledge about what, uh, what issues or risks are to be dealt with. Um, so providing podcasts, webinars, 
and that type of uh, of activities will be helpful to uh, to Toronto Centre participants. Um, and we so we will continue with that. We will continue also to reach out to regulators in different parts of the world. That's certainly one aspect that we want to to um, to go on and work with even more uh, more importantly than in the past. Uh, one thing that may somewhat a bit change in the future, or maybe a new priority, if you like, is trying to um, have more in-depth discussion about new novel issues or novel risks that come up in the markets um, uh, and that regulators have to deal with. Either it's being the regulator itself or the market creating those issues or risks. We want to have that discussion so that we can feed somewhat the other activities such as uh, the podcasts and webinars, but most especially uh, the Toronto Centre and its program activities, either with directly with countries or in the international programs that we set up. So I think that's going to be one uh, very important priority in the future for the, for the membership of the ASAB. Beyond uh, the COVID-19 priorities that you mentioned, Security supervisors and regulators respond to many emerging and existing risks uh, supervised entities, consumers, and financial markets are exposed to. What would you say are some of these key risks and how have supervisors and regulators responded to them? I'd say that we have to be very careful about not thinking that COVID will impact, but I think even if COVID-19 do impact some of the risk, uh, those will be somewhat enhanced risk that already existed in the past. Uh, for example, we've been living with a, a, a low interest rate environment for many years now in most countries. Um, this this uh, environment is really um, one aspect that really pushes people to try to uh, to speculate, to try to earn a return, uh, but taking more risk than they would usually do. That's really an aspect that we will be uh, be careful with and, and take a keen look at because that situation, that environment creates the possibility for more speculation in the end. And that's, that's really something that regulators are mindful about. Um, Related to that is also the potential for more frauds. Um, again, people want to have better, better and bigger returns on their investments. Um, regular investments most probably will be kind of shaky after the crisis for some period of time. And with the low interest rate environment, uh, people again will be, will be called to take more risk and fraudsters are really sensitive to that. So again, I think this is certainly an area where regulators will have to be very careful and, and will have to continue their work in trying to, um, to police the markets and make sure that that type of situation is not, uh, is not further evolving. Um, another aspect, and in fact, two aspects that are interrelated in some ways and, and, and are that COVID-19 will probably have an impact on is cybersecurity. 
uh, and data security, for example. Um, we are, are using much more technology than in the past. For example, we're having this podcast many, not so many years ago. Podcast didn't exist. Uh, we, we had other ways, videos or so on. So it's an example of new technology that we're using, Zoom, for example. There's, there's a lot of new other technologies that are you know, being put in place and being used either by consumers or by, by market participants. That creates a situation where cybersecurity becomes an issue. And we need to be very, very careful about that. Um, data protection is related to cybersecurity, as, as everybody knows. Um, that has become uh, uh, really um, uh, an issue in the past, even before the, uh, the, the pandemic crisis. Um, but I, I think that after this crisis, because of the, uh, of the raise in the use of, of new technology and, and you know, the data being used all over the place and asked for by many uh, you know, uh, new technologies being put in place, data protection will become really a paramount. And I, I know that regulators are really um, concerned with that. They will still be concerned with that, but I think in an enhanced way. Uh, so to make sure that really nothing on tours come by with, with that. It's not if we can stop it, it's if we can limit it as much as we can because we know it will happen. So I think those are, are important risks. I would, I would end with another aspect which is quite important is cryptos. Um, Cryptos have been very popular before the crisis, before COVID-19. Um, again, people would be looking for investments. People will be looking to speculating. This may create situations where cryptos may be used uh, in, a, in a very important uh, fashion, uh, even more importantly than before the COVID-19. Again, regulators are really um, looking at that, have been looking at it for, for, a couple, for many years now. Uh, but they will have uh, certainly a keen look on that aspect of the market to make sure that nothing untowards can come to, uh, to consumers. Now, what about climate risk? Uh, we're seeing an increase in awareness of this risk and responses by regulators and supervisors. There's a lot of focus on this area and on guidance and recommendations being released, such as the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures. Can you speak a bit about what securities regulators are doing to address the task force's recommendations? I'll not try necessarily to speak about what the regulators are doing with the task force recommendation per se, because I think each regulator can adopt what it, whatever it wants within the recommendations made. And I think that's one aspect that, it, that can be problematic is that there's, there's not a, a level playing field being created Nobody is equal. Nobody is doing exactly the same thing. So it creates situation where um, there's a lack of commonality, and that lack of commonality can create issues in the future. So if we go to the regulators themselves more specifically, um, uh, there are many many different ways in which regulators react to climate risk. Some regulators are really 
sitting down on their hands, if I can use this expression, and uh, maybe I'll be yelled at afterward uh, saying that. But I think it's true that some regulators just rely on old principles, materiality. If it's not material, then you don't have to disclose anything. Even though there is a climate relations to the activities of a corporation, they just rely on the fact that is it material financially or otherwise. Um, this reliance on old principles can be, it's, it's okay in the context of, uh, of each regulator, but it may not be sufficient for what we are asking now. Climate has become a big issue. Climate is something that is paramount with many. So we need to address that more specifically than just materiality, for example. So um, other regulators have been more, much more involved into the topic, much more involved with the situation, and have um, uh, done some, some, some new regulation or new um, new supervision of the issues. For example, in Europe, there's been some some um, uh, some initiatives that were created that were quite interesting. Again, the problem is that it's not even with others, uh, you know, initiatives, and so that that creates really a gap, and the lack of commonality can become a problem. Um, Hyosco was a bit. Um, uh, let's say slow with it, but concern of have not having the proper tool to really work the issue. But they have created um, a group, a working group that looked at this and made some recommendations. So there are two groups, in fact, that made recommendations. There's growth and emerging countries uh, committees that were uh, involved into a report that was tabled in 2019. This report is very interesting because it makes it makes a lot of recommendations that can be very practical to, to regulators. There's another report that has been tabled by another group within IOSCO, was just tabled this April uh, 2020, uh, and really looked at the overall situation and, and really trying to make uh, a, a clearer picture of what was being done for climate risk, generally speaking. So they came up with... Um, uh, diverse issues that needs to be tackled. The first one, I've raised this uh, before in, in my answer, um, the uh, multiple and diverse sustainability uh, frameworks and standards that creates a lack of commonality. And that's an, a problem that, that this group has flagged as something that needs to be taken on board. Lack of common definitions of sustainable activities does not relate so much with climate, but uh, but uh, on the side, it may. And greenwashing uh, and other investor protection challenges, because a lot of people are invoking climate to sell their products or to do activities. Is it really true? Is it really protecting investors? Is it really providing something for climate? That's a huge issue. So with this report, IOSCO will probably move forward in trying to address those issues and bring forward at one time or another, hopefully as soon as possible, more uh, common uh, position and condition so that we can address this issue. 
Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about international standards, um, specifically how financial sector assessment program or FSAP observations and recommendations are helpful to regulators. They provide an independent analysis and diagnostic of a country's supervision and regulation. Can you describe how supervisors and regulators can use this information as a tool? Um, this is a, a topic that is really dear to my heart because um, in my former job, I was responsible for FSAPs and they came along every five years. So that was really something I was um, obliged to deal with. Um, it, it was somewhat also very, ch say challenging somewhat a bit, but also very interesting because it gives you um, really a picture of um, your your strength and your weaknesses as a regulator. Because you receive an independent um, evaluation coming from, uh, from uh, the IMF or the World Bank, depending on whom is doing the FSOP, uh, it provides you with a clear picture of what are those strengths and what are those weaknesses. Um, it's really helpful uh, because you know then that um, you may have to take a look or a closer look at some of the issues that are flagged uh, in the FSAP report and ask yourself, is there something I need to do to change this? And, and most often than not, the FSAP reports will make not often enough. It, it, it always makes some recommendations. When it sees a weaknesses, uh, it will make uh, recommendations accordingly. As a regulator, you're not forced into taking those recommendations on board or not as they're made. You can change them. You can adapt them to your own situation if you believe you're, you're more accurate doing so. But it's, it's really helpful for that, for the regulators to know that they must have something to do or probably must have something to do. The, Second nature of the FSAP or second aspect of the FSAP that is quite interesting is that being an independent report and being somewhat objective compared to a self-assessment of yourself, um, you can use that as a tool to go to your government or legislative body and say, look, somebody independent did take a look at that and they say that we have a weakness there. So it has it has somewhat um, a, a great influence uh, to go to the government and say, look, it's not us saying that we have a weakness there. They're saying so, so we have to make some changes, get some new powers or change the powers that we already have, whatever is the nature of the weakness, and try to adapt it. The third aspect that is quite interesting is that those reports of FSAS are made public. And governments are also influenced by, let's say, the nature or the perception that, you, that comes out of that report. If you see that there's a bunch of weaknesses and you don't address them, it will come back to on you. So uh, governments will be influenced in trying to get into action. So all this the regulator can use more efficiently because it's really an independent picture of what is the situation uh, within a jurisdiction. Now, we are, as many have said, uh, living in unprecedented times and that this crisis is not like the last one. 
Staying the course is our best means for going through the crisis we're facing now. What advice can you give to supervisors and regulators to help them continue to do the good work they do and to stay the course? This is a, a difficult question because one thing that needs to be really on our mind is that this crisis is not the same as other crises that we have to face. For example, if we compare it to the 2008 crisis, in 2008, what really happened was that improper behaviors, uh, improper structures, improper uh, knowledge of what was going on in the markets were really at center uh, stage of, of that crisis. Whereas here, it's, it's totally independent. It's not something that relates to the financial market per se, but it does impact the market. So is there huge changes to be made? Are there uh, a lot of tweakings, if I can use this expression, to be done to, to the situation? I don't necessarily believe so, but it's, it's kind of early yet to, to do anything on, on that end. Um, so, in fact, it's job as usual, but more, more complex because we're doing it from afar. And that really, in my mind, generate one aspect that is, I think, quite important. I've, I've said earlier that we're, we're using more technolo technologies to do stuff that we used to do in, the, in other fashions that were somewhat a bit slower and cumbersome. Um, the same thing happens when you think about securities regulation, supervision of markets, of market participants, and so on, is much more um, technological than it used to be. And so we need, as regulators, to invest even more than we've done so up to now in those new technologies, subtech, if you like, which is the expression used generally. We have to invest in that so that we can really be more efficient, less costly in doing so, and more accurate in our actions. So I think that's one area where uh, we need to be, uh, to be increasing our look at. Uh, the second aspect, which is really broad, is really uh, uh, a difficult one because um, it relates to the situation that will happen after the crisis. Um, the economy will be weak. Uh, we know that there's a lot of uh, businesses that will go bankrupt or, or simply businesses that will close down. Um, this will create an economy that is somewhat a bit weak and difficult. Um, so it means that players that, that were quite solid in the past may be weaker now, and they will remain weak as we go along. Uh, and because of that, we, we will need to be flexible in some ways, not, not in putting in danger consumers or investors and markets, but flexible in our approach about how to deal with so, such situation. So flexibility will be, uh, I think, a buzzword. Uh, and also exercise good judgment. I think um, I, I'll be, I'll be uh, a judge of myself. I think regulators have always used good judgment. Well, they may be called to use good judgments in, in more difficult situations than they used to. Um, so th these are really the elements I would think are um, centered to what regulators should be thinking about uh, in the, the near future. 
Great. Well, Jean, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. On behalf of all our listeners, we wish you great success and we look forward to your leadership as chair of Toronto Centre's Securities Advisory Board. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvie. I'm Sylvie Charland, and you've been listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Thank you.